0: Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide. Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 48th episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In this New Moon episode, I'll be discussing International Masturbation Month, and we'll be speaking with Chad Braverman, the COO of Doc Johnson, the world's number one adult toy manufacturer. Then, I'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is Forever by Judy Bloom. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with affirmations for masturbation as an act of self-love. But first, let me share with you some reflections on masturbation and sex education. It's International Masturbation Month. When I first heard about this on social media, because I'm in the masturbation industry, I just thought it was another thing just to promote masturbation, sell more sex toys. I didn't really think anything of it because there are many, you know, national day of this, of that, and and I guess these days are created to, to raise awareness about certain topics. I didn't think there was a kind of deeper meaning to it though, but when I looked up on Wikipedia, this is what I found. International Masturbation Day is an annual event held to protect and celebrate the right to masturbate. The first National Masturbation Day was May 9, 1995, after sex-positive retailer Good Vibrations declared the day in honour of Surgeon General Jocelyn Elders, who was fired by President Bill Clinton in 1994 for suggesting masturbation be part of the sex education curriculum for students. So when I heard about that, I thought, oh, there's actually a deep cause to that. And it made me think about my own sex education and what it would have been like to have masturbation as part of the curriculum. That would have been crazy. I mean, I was at 1994. That was when I was getting my sex education. So in my Catholic school, we had um, one lesson at the end of primary school, which was called Growing Up. We had to get our parents' consent and I think parents were kind of like thinking, oh great, we don't have to have that talk with them. They can have this one class for one hour and then we're supposed to know everything there's, there is to know about puberty, periods and sex and where babies come from. And then in high school, there was reproduction in biology, but talking about plants, animals and some human reproduction. And then we also had some education about sex in religious education, which was very much from a Catholic um, standpoint. For example, I remember one of the the lessons says, when a husband loves his wife so much, he wants to place his penis inside her vagina. And I used to think that you know, sex or penetrative sex would result in um, automatic pregnancy. When I saw families that had six kids, I thought they'd had six, they'd had sex six times. And uh, if they only had one, then only once. You know, I, I just had so many questions that were not answered. But I remember one of my teachers who was quite clever, um, even though she was teaching us this kind of very limited view of sexuality from a um, a Catholic lens. She um, told us to write a question on a piece of paper and fold it up, and she would collect all the questions and then answer them, so it could all be anonymous. I remember my question actually. This is like so crazy. I asked if, um, like, pubic hair was supposed to grow at the same time as armpit hair because at the time I'd grown pubic hair very young. I-, I think I was about nine or something, but my armpit hair didn't grow until much later in life so I was a bit confused about why my armpits were still so smooth but between my legs was a different story and um I can't remember what the answer was but uh it was kind of like I guess I guess no one really knows and I guess um but I still felt you know a sense of embarrassment when my question was was uh, selected but these um this education that I had I was very aware that it was limited I didn't just leave it at that because I was also very curious about sexuality. So I, um, and also I was a very, I was a late developer. So that, that late development, I mean, I only had my first period when I was 14 and a half, which just seems so late. I was always jealous of my friends who had their, their periods when they were 12, 13, because I really wanted to be an adult. And I think a lot of maybe not all teenagers can relate to that, but I really did want to grow up. I wanted to get my first bra. I mean, I had bee stings until I was about 13. And um, I was still wearing a vest when everyone was getting their first crop tops and bras. Even people who were flat were getting bras because their parents wanted them to be, you know, not have, um, not be left out on this whole experience. I think a lot of people now might not want to wear a bra, but I really wanted one. And I remember getting my first one. I just kept, like, um, lifting up my top and looking at my, my tiny tits in the mirror thinking, oh, my God, I'm a woman, almost. And then when my period started, I remember being really happy about it, um, as it happened finally. Um, but in the time when I was, you know, I learned about periods to the time I had my period, we were given some, um, these free pads and tampons, not tampons, actually just pads from a company. And they had this little booklet all about periods and where they come from and what to expect, etc. And I read that book so many times. So I knew so much about it. And I was thinking, is it coming? When I had a little bellyache. I was like, is it coming now? Is it coming now? Um so I, I knew a lot about it by the time it did um, happen. And also all of the magazines I was reading were very explicit. My mother could not stand all of the magazines I was reading because some of them, I remember, there was a magazine that was teaching you how to kiss a guy. <laughs> they had this little book, booklet called The Kiss Kit. And my mum was just so shocked by it. And I think I was only 14, 15 at the time. Um, but yeah, it was very, very funny. So yeah, I was very curious about First Kiss you know, touching up my boyfriends, being touched. And um, and then sex, I kind of waited until I was, you know, 16 and a half. But um, I couldn't imagine. Masturbation didn't come into my thought patterns until much later. I remember when I was about 17, I really loved um, Tori Amos. And she has a, a song called Icicle. And that's about masturbation. And about growing up in a religious household and one of the some of the lyrics are getting off getting up what getting off while they're all downstairs sing away he's in my pumpkin pjs and um, why should i take from his body when i can take from mine instead and it's such a beautiful song with a beautiful piano in the background and that's when i first realized that masturbation was a beautiful thing but for me at the time i was never really I, although i had a lot of sexual energy going through my body um, I did try masturbation, but it didn't really work for me. Uh, maybe I just didn't know how. I used to have these nocturnal orgasms from a very young age. I used to just wake up and and then just have these gritoral spasms, which were quite intense, and they would wake me up. I didn't remember having any erotic dreams. It was purely a physical response to whatever was happening when I was sleeping. And I used to always sleep with a pillow between my thighs so I could kind of rub against it to kind of make these amazing spasms subside. It was crazy. It used to happen to me until I started using sex toys, actually. I guess I got my clitoral spasms from other methods at that point. But um, it was such a, a crazy discovery. And it, and I didn't really know what was happening to me either. But I think um, it would have been nice to have masturbation on the curriculum, to know about this and to know, and to be encouraged to to explore yourself. Because one thing for me, was that I relied on partners to kind of um, provide me with orgasms, which is great to be able to have an orgasm with someone else. But there were situations that I was in that made, I was in maybe toxic situations because I didn't know how to kind of sort myself out, so to speak. And then when I discovered um, sex toys and I could actually give myself pleasure, it had a huge impact on my emotional life. It meant that I stopped choosing toxic partners and I wish I'd known that at a younger age. And I remember when I was interviewed for a Spanish newspaper, I was on the front page of this news, this free newspaper. So they had a huge audience, and everyone was reading it. On there's actually it was um, given away at the underground stops in the morning. So everyone in Barcelona and Madrid was believe was reading it. And I remember the the um, title of this interview was, "If I had a daughter." I would give her a vibrator at the age of 13 and everyone was thinking, oh my God, this is so scandalous. But I don't think it is scandalous. I think it would have been a good thing to actually explore myself from a very young age and I would have probably made better emotional decisions later on and not been, you know, dominated by my hormones. I think it would have been good to know how to handle the, the feeling of sexual arousal. Yeah, so masturbation on the curriculum. Well, for us, it was it was actually something that was sinful, not mentioned at all, because the purpose of sexuality was only procreation. Pleasure was not really a part of it. It was procreation in the situation of marriage only. Yeah, so that was what that was what I was taught, but I rejected it from a very young age because I had two kind of influences. Um, one was the school family influence, which was very religious, and the other was mainstream media and that taught me something different entirely. So I was able to make an informed decision about which path I wanted to take. And I was aware that choosing a more liberal one was not sinful at all. In fact, now that I've become quite spiritual, I do find that masturbation is a way to connect with God and the divine and to connect with my body and understand this huge gift of sexuality. And I am so grateful for this gift. Now it's time for this episode's interview. We'll be speaking with Chad Braverman, the COO of Doc Johnson, the world's number one adult toy manufacturer. So Chad, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle podcast and thank you so much for taking part in this interview today. Very happy to have you here. And you are the COO of Doc Johnson. For those who are unfamiliar with your work, could you tell us about Doc Johnson, please?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, we are forty-seven-year-old sex toy company, mm-hmm. one of the oldest, um, one of the largest U.S. manufacturers of sex toys. Um, but I sort of like hone in on that word "manufacturer" because I think the most important thing to know about us and about you know Doc Johnson and what we do here is that we are actually manufacturers of product you know, behind me here, this is my office, but right over to the side of me here is 250,000 square feet of manufacturing facility. So we still make, uh, over 60% of all of the products in our catalog, which is about 1600 items total. We still make about 60% of that product here in Los Angeles. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a process that we've, sort of been doing since uh, 1976. Uh, We kind of opened our doors day one as a true manufacturer. And, you know, if this is a place that you ever come to, you will see the product being created from, you know, initial concept all the way through to actual production of the product.
0: So are you also distributing your products or are you just purely based
1: on manufacturing and you have different brands? So our, sort of our, our main brand is Doc Johnson, you know, that's Mm -hmm. sort of like, that's the company. And then, you know, over the last, I would say probably 10 years, uh, maybe a little bit more than that. We've kind of, you know, started these sort of sub brands that I think speak specifically to different categories and different sectors in the market. Doc Johnson as a whole is kind of this really large entity and we manufacture product in almost every category in the industry, um, you know, for every one. And so it's kind of hard to do that and, and not sort of like segregate brands, you know, to market those brands specifically towards the clientele that we think we're making that, that product for. Mm -hmm.
0: So you're distributing worldwide or basically mostly U S
1: worldwide, everywhere. Um, U.S. is our largest, but we do a massive business in Europe and and Canada, uh, Australia. Um, Yeah, you can find Doc Johnson pretty much on every corner of the planet. I first heard about you. Well, I've kind of known you from the... I've seen you around in the
0: sector um, previously, but I I read the book um, Buzz, The Stimulating History
1: of the Sex Toy by Hal. Oh, sure. It's right there on my... Right there on my little bookshelf.
0: Yeah, I really believe everyone in our sector should read it. It's just so interesting. And I learned some things that I yeah. couldn't She did imagine. a great job. Sorry? I said she did a great job. It was amazing. Uh, and that incredible book. Yeah. And I was really yeah. surprised about the term marital aids. Is that how you started? that The company started uh,
1: that? Could you tell us? A- yeah. If you look at our 1976 catalog... It is uh a picture of a couple on a beach like at sunset and uh the front of it just says Doc Johnson Marillades. Okay. Uh you know, and that's I, I people always ask me about the industry or, you know, what the product is, and I said we went from AIDS to adult novelties to sex toys to uh, sort of, I would say, that the, the the evolution currently right now with pleasure products.
0: That was one of my questions further on, actually, about the language about these products. I think it, it something else that surprised me about the term marital age uh, from when I read in in Buzz, the uh, stimulating history of the sex toy, was about that they were hollow dildos for married, married couples. I just thought that was such a strange, that's not what a lot of people would not think of that, you know, the strap-on dildos being for heterosexual married women <laughs> it was just oh the married, married um, couples you know it's very people think of that maybe more kind of for pegging or for
1: or lesbian sex and um I yeah i think back then you know a lot of it was also about um i don't want to say like covering up what the mass of the product was about but i think we were trying to legitima- legitimate legitimatize the business mm-hmm. you know yeah. if you go back if you go back to the to the to the mid seventies when sort of the, the, uh, the pleasure products category was really starting to evolve, um, and sort of grow out of the magazine, uh, you know, and film and sort of like the peep show, uh, sections of like the stores where like stores started to actually create areas per product, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was a, it was an industry that was, was, was highly regulate it and it was an industry that was highly targeted by all sides of government there was not really two sides uh on this, as there are kind of today um this was something where you know really speaking the U.S. government was 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 out to you know uh try to take down the adult industry as a whole um and so you know sex toys or adult novelties became marital aids to begin with because that sounds like something that people need to you know help uh whether it's you know their sex life or their marriage or you know even more like medically kind of speaking in a way
0: yeah it's interesting the same kind of topic is still happening today with um the terminology i think people want to move away from the term "sex toy," it sounds trivial, but potentially, and the word "sex" can be problematic in social media. But also, there's the words like, for example, "pleasure product," as he said, and "sexual wellness
1: device." I mean, do you have any favorites, or that you, or the, or the, does the company have? Any I definitely. I don't want to sit here and like brag and say that I feel like I was like ahead of the curve on that. But I'll say that as someone who grew up in the business, I mean, this is my family's business. So, like, I started in this industry. Before I started in this industry, you know, and mm-hmm. so I think that I had a vision of or at least an idea of what I thought was going to happen here. And I said early on, even before I started working at the company, like I don't know why you call them sex toys. It makes it sound um like lesser than mm-hmm. you know, like I hear the word toy and I kind of just think cheap. Um, and so there was this idea of like, well, what else would they be called? Um, and that's kind of where, I mean, for us, it's, uh, sort of Doc Johnson, American pleasure products, you know, and pleasure products is definitely sort of like a connotation that I think has been like pretty adapted, Mm um. Uh, on one hand, yes, it gets get you away from the word sex, but I don't think that to me, it's never been more about the sex part of it as much as the toy part of it. And I know when I was growing up and I ever heard my, my, my dad say like adult novelties to somebody, whenever I said that, I just always felt like that. that was led into more question. People never understood what adult novelties were, <laughs> you know? And then I think the word novelty in some ways is, is. I don't want to say it's worse than the word toy, but I think novelty, like the, the true definition of it is like not something to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And so as this industry has grown up and become a lot more serious and the product has become a lot more, or I should say the product has become better and more mainstream, I feel like the terminology surrounding um the industry has to as well
0: definitely definitely so um you have over 2500 products you're currently selling over 2500 products is that correct
1: about 100. yeah we scaled we've scaled down a little bit we always try to kind of like you know always sort of always curating the line trying to make sure that it's like even though it's a huge line we're always trying to make sure that it's you know the right amount of products i would say right now we're probably sitting at about Seventeen, sixteen hundred, somewhere between 16 and 1700 products.
0: Wow. And how many brands is that?
1: Uh, I mean, probably over 20 brands without wow. counting exactly. I would say there, that that's probably throughout 20 major brands. We still have some product that, you know, does really well that I would say is sort of like, sort of like branded on its own. Like it might just be a couple of items that sort of like share the same name but they were never kind of like built into a big brand they were never sort of marketed as a brand they're just kind of like units that kind of stand on their own um and then and then from there i would say that there's there's 20 you know pretty big brands within the doc johnson we're, we've we've started calling it the house of doc oh well wow. so it's cool. kind of like within the house of doc there's 20 brands that you know let's just say that they're there's 20 rooms in the house, of doc that kind of have their own little, uh, story. What about best
0: selling products? What's your best selling product? And it has it, do you have a best seller over the last few years has It
1: has been that, that sells Yes. Yeah, us so Also something that we break down based on category a little bit, because we do have so many products and, uh, you know, sometimes I always ask like, well, are you asking about revenue? Are you asking about volume? Um, you know. There's, there's different sort of ways to look at that question. Um, so I kind of give that answer and I say that, you know, I'll give you like the top five in different categories as well. as sort of like a mixture of revenue and volume. One of our biggest brands, uh, one of our biggest brands is uh, a, a brand of ours called Goodhead, which is a line just basically all around, um, you know, uh, personal care and cosmetics for oral sex. Okay, it's just like an oral sex enhancing brand. It's something that I think we do really well. That kind of like a corner that Doc Johnson kind of carved out for itself. That uh, I don't really think anyone else is kind of playing in that on that corner at all. So um, we have some some of our top selling items in the whole company come from that Goodhead brand. And that as a brand, I would say it's probably like the number one overall volume brand. But it's a it's a much more inexpensive line of product. It's all sprays and lotions and potions and things like that. So the price point way lower versus something like our VacuLock sex machine, which, you know, retails for over $750, wow. you know, that's one of our top revenue generators in the whole company, but nowhere near the volume of, you know, Goodhead you know oral uh sex gel
0: this is like a blowjob simulator or
1: something like this uh the the good head or the sex machine both good head sounds like that's the the, i mean the sex machine is 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 a traditional sort of like you know uh like uh, like a penetration machine that you can apply different attachments onto Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um whereas the the good line is is yeah it's a lotions and gels and 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 different types of of product but it's all around enhancing oral play okay so it's flavored or you know we have a product in that line called juicy head which activates the salivatory glands um so it's like you know for sloppier blowjobs or wetter head things like that um and then some products that also do really well for us are, um, uh, our pocket rocket, which is kind of one of the number one selling vibrators pretty much in the history of the, uh, of the industry. Kind of feel like every woman I've ever talked to said that like a pocket rocket was one of the first items they ever bought. Um, so that's just kind of one of those like sort of beginner items, sort of like it's the of like the gateway into like the adult or into the pleasure products industry
0: definitely i've just been to um i was just uh at the aero spain fair did you hear of the aero spain fair it was like Eero yeah fame. i did yeah, yeah i was i was hosting was i was the mc at the gala it was a fantastic experience to see this because i was living in barcelona it's just amazing to have this on my doorstep and i always go to aero fame every year and i think in general i, I would i don't know what the percentage would be but i'd say most sex toys are for female stimulation i think there's definitely uh, the male sex toy categories growing a lot as is the the couples one what, what's your experience
1: on which is the most popular? yeah i think the pen, i think the pendulum swings i think the pendulum swings a lot you know like mm-hmm. if you look back at the beginning of the industry it was not necessarily made for men but it was definitely men buying okay products mm-hmm. you know and so a lot of stuff was marketed and uh, strictly towards men you know and the male buyer and then obviously that did last for quite a while but you know there was a a massive turning point and sort of when the pendulum really swung in the other direction was um you know there was a few tipping points here right obviously the introduction of the internet um as e-commerce became bigger realizing that you could go online and not have to go into a store to buy a to buy a a vibrator. Brought a lot more women to the category. The sort of mainstream tipping points like Sex in the City, discussing vibrators, you know, on this massive show for women sitting around a table discussing their vibrators. Um, that sort of swung the pendulum all the way in the other direction, which was like women are the only buyer, everything's for women, you know, 10,000 vibrators every year coming into the market from all these different companies. Um, everything, you know, kind of all about, uh, the woman buyer, um, and realizing that that is really where the purchasing power was. Um, and then I think when that happens, you do start to leave gaps in the market, you know, which I, I think one of the gaps in the market was what's a male? product outside of a masturbator you know it feels like you know we were definitely we're very big in that category there's a few other companies that are pretty big in that category but outside of that what what are you making for men you know and that's when um i think you know people realize like well how many vibrators or or female products can the market bear every year and you know anyone that's you know running a good business has to look at where the gaps in the market are you know, we developed a line probably like six or seven years ago called Optimail, which is a whole line just based solely around men's sexual health and wellness. You know? And it it's not about sexual orientation. It's it's we make product for kind of everybody within this line, but everybody male orientated in the sense of, you know, we're not just gonna make a stroker Um, or like a lubricant in that line for like traditional masturbation purposes. We make butt plugs and cock rings and vibrating cock rings and prostate massagers um, and uh, different personal care and cosmetics. Um, It's a really big, all-encompassing line for men's sexual health and wellness. And we built that line and developed that line really specifically because one day we were going over product and going over sort of the different you know development that we wanted to do in the company as we do every year and and you know one of the things that was brought up was like when's the last time someone built a brand for men you know like where's the where is the male product now it's just not around everything was being solely focused on um on just the female buyer and then you had companies come out like we vibe um who obviously were focusing on the couples and that became a different part of the pendulum that swung towards, oh yeah, how do we make product for people to use together? You know, where it's one product that is really for both people, not necessarily, you know, a a pocket rocket that a woman would feel comfortable using in the bedroom with another, with a partner, but how do we make a product for partners, you know, and, 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 and try to capture, try to capture that market as well.
0: So what about the app controlled products? Are you, are you working on that at the moment? Do you have any app controlled products?
1: Uh, we don't at the moment, but it is something that we are, uh, very sort of like in the middle of right now. Okay. Interesting. That's so, the most yeah. I can say. I, okay, the most good. I can say, hopefully I'll add really interesting stuff to, to divulge in the next couple of months.
0: Because I read also that your company just boomed with the um, pandemic, and I think a lot of people would assume that was because you know, also there's a lot of you know long distance control. But why do you think people were? Why do you think the sector boomed uh, in the in the
1: pandemic? You know, I think I look at it in in. I think there's two kind of people that were out there in the pandemic. Right, you were either, um, you know, alone you know, you lived alone or you didn't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner. And, um, you know, we were all kind of locked up and, you know, at some point in time, I mean, I think the numbers back up that most people at this point own boys, you know, and are, are using these products. And so why not get more and explore different you know, things that you maybe weren't exploring before, or didn't have the time to, or weren't looking up online and kind of finding. Um, and then I think on the flip side of that, you had people that were together and they got locked up together and, uh, maybe pleasure products were not a part of their relationship and they became a part, or maybe they were, and they evolved into more categories as well. I don't want to say out of boredom, but like, look, we were all in this like moment. It was like the first time that any of us had gone through anything like this. And we were all doing things that we had never sort of like expected to do, getting into different games, into different TV shows, or reading, or whatever it was. And I, I think the, the, this industry, um, saw a massive, um, and it wasn't just our company, it was every company just saw a massive explosion um because you had a lot of people locked up looking to have fun you know and i think that's what we do i mean we we, anyone that's never used a, a, a product before that does or uses a new one in a different category i mean sure i've had people say to me like i didn't love that one but i i did love this one it's not like i don't like these things at all. Mm. You know, there's always going to be something out there that's that someone's going to love and it's going to greatly enhance their sex life, whether it's solo play or with a partner.
0: Definitely. I mean, 2020 was the best year of my career. <laughs> it was incredible.
1: <laughs> and, uh... Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, podcasting too, right? I mean, and all that, like, it, I, there's how many podcasts were, were created during the pandemic because... That's another thing. People were home listening to this stuff, going on these walk, because that's all we could do, you know, going on two-hour walk the day. It's like, what are you going to, you know, what are you going to listen to?
0: Also, I think it's responsible for the, the sector becoming more mainstream. That's my next question. So, I read that you have become, you've mainstream enough for the Los Angeles magazine to call you the Procter & Gamble of sex toys. <laughs> I guess everyone knows you. Yeah. Has that changed? A lot for you like personally and professionally, like everyone kind of knows more about what you what your what your work is about
1: I think well look yeah, I mean I would say that it's it's changed the it's changed the temperature of the conversation, you know I don't Again, I grew up in this business. I grew up before the internet. You know, my dad did not tell me what he did, and he did not tell people who he did not know what he did, especially people at my school um, or friends of mine, uh, parents, and things like that. This was not an opening um, uh, dialogue of conversation that was ever had. Um, my dad was an importer, exporter. Um, my dad did health and beauty products. Um, I don't know any number of stories, medical devices. Um, there was always a bunch of stories floating around of like what my dad did. And a lot of that was to, um, shield me specifically from any judgment, um, or to have, you know, any parents tell their, you know, their kids like, Oh, well, you, you know, you can't hang out with Chad and, you know, can't go over to Chad's house because it's, you know, going to be Caligula over there um but i don't have that uh benefit if it is a benefit at all i don't know but i don't i don't even have that choice right i mean uh if you just google me um you know you're gonna find out what i do you're gonna find the lb magazine you're gonna find the new york times article um you know and and we've been very lucky to have it probably 10 times the exposure and and um uh, editorial that any company in this industry has ever had. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that New York times article that was written about us. Uh, you know, I cannot tell you how big the New York times. is. I mean, I didn't know. And I'm, you know, I live here and obviously I know the New York times is the New York times. But when that article came out, I mean, I was getting text messages. I haven't changed my numbers since high school. I was getting text messages from people I have never spoken to, wow. you know, that just took a chance that my number was still the same number. And they were like, dude, I saw you in the New York times. Like, you know, like, Oh my God, like stuff like that. And I like getting calls from producers and people that wanted to do reality shows and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that on one hand, I don't have that choice. And then on the other hand, it's okay because people love what I do now. You know, I'm not getting judged. My kids, I don't think my kids are getting judged. I mean, you know, I just went through a whole situation, you know, with my five-year-old, he's starting kindergarten and, you know, we're looking at a lot of schools and, you know, I'm saying like, every one of these schools is going to Google me, you know, every one of these schools is going to make a decision as to whether or not they're okay with, a, with, a with, a, someone from the adult industry, you know, being a part of their community. And, uh, no one's going to tell me that they didn't accept my son because of this, you know, but I was genuinely, it's the first time in my life where I was like, okay, I'm a hit at dinner parties, um, I'm a great, uh, I'm a great, uh, um, single serving friend on like an airplane. You know, people love finding out what I do. They want to talk to me about it. Uh, You know, people share intimate details with me that I don't think that they would ever share with somebody else um, because of what I do. And they think like, I'm like sort of a judgment-free zone. But this was sort of the first time where I was like, huh, I wonder what's going to happen here, you know? And uh, I mean, we applied to five different schools and uh, my son got into all five. Oh, amazing. Yeah. You know? And it was like, I, I think he did, he is deserving of it, but he's also only five. So it was interesting for me to know that like every single one of those schools Googled me, found out what I did and accepted us anyways, you know? So I think that was a very cool moment for me knowing sort of where my childhood came from uh, and what was kind of hidden from me and 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 then now to know that 35 years later um you know we're in a place where this is very accepted and very mainstream and it's a business absolutely and uh, this is probably what the number and one for me reaction. personally the thing that i've always felt and why i've been very such a champion of this industry or my company uh really is that like we're, you know, as a manufacturer, like we're job creators, definitely. you know, and not just the industry as a whole, which is a massive industry, but like we are job creators ourselves. Like we, we employ 250 people in Los Angeles making product, you know? And so when someone talks to me about whether or not my business is uh legitimate enough for them, I I, I want them to show me other companies in LA that are supporting 250 families.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's probably the reaction I get most is probably the people confessing their secrets, which is probably not what people expect. They would probably expect there's more judgment, but it's not. If people are judging, they're not really sharing that. But um, speaking of the 250 families that you're supporting, so you actually manufacture most of it in the US, whereas a lot of companies um, are are producing in China. So why is it important for you to kind of keep control of that manufacturing? and Do it locally? Um.
1: You know, listen, I can point towards the, 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 quality control that you can retain by having, uh, the process under your roof and under your eye, every single day is second to none. It's just, it's not, it's not, um, not comparable. Uh, I also think that when you, when you're hands on with a product when you really understand how a product is made and how it goes from conception to final in your hand, um, consumer ready. Um, I just think it brings a sort of a, there's a knowledge that's gained with that, that you just don't get in other places. And I think there's a level of expertise, um, that you, that you get by working here. And working in this particular way than by making something on your computer and just kind of sending it off to a factory overseas and then just receiving the product in a, in a final package and not really ever touching it. And I don't really want to like speak badly about what anyone else does, but there's a lot of companies in our industry that aren't even designing the product. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just buying stuff that's ready made from China and putting it in a package and and just selling it
0: would you say it's a faster process uh, as well for you
1: Oof, i don't know it could be a much longer process our process is super intensive super labor intensive and um you know uh it's a lot of work to get from a to z Mm. um i think that it's a faster process when we need more product like we're I would say that we're as close to a just-in-time manufacturer as you can get and of course our moqs and a lot of the stuff that does affect other companies doesn't affect us which makes us more nimble um and we are able to turn around product a lot quicker if i'm out of stock on something if i have the components needed for it i can make it for you very very quickly whereas if my competitors are out of stock they're waiting, you know, six to 90 days, uh, for more product to be put onto a container and shipped over.
0: Absolutely. And also shipping is so, very expensive in the uh, pandemic as well. It was very complicated.
1: Uh, things. I know. I mean, listen, we yeah. still ship a lot of product. I'm not sitting here saying we make a hundred percent of our own product. We don't all of our electronics and, you know, all of our, uh, all of our, um, vibrating product, things like that. They do come, uh, from our factories overseas. And I mean, we dealt with the same logistic nightmares that, that everybody did. And containers were seven times the cost that they are normally, but like, I'll tell you that that was another reason why our company, why doc Johnson, you know, I think probably did a little bit better than the other companies did, even though we all did well is because when people were really, truly out of stock, um, and China was shut down, we were manufacturing product. You know, and we were, we were, we were making products, so that was, that is to our benefit. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But there's two sides to every coin and and there's the side of, of what it takes to really maintain a manufacturing operation versus a warehouse full of just corrugated boxes.
0: Definitely. So going back to the mainstreamness of our industry and how that's developed lately, what do you think about sex toys being sold in supermarkets and more kind of mainstream outlets? Are, are you being sold in in more kind of not just sex shops but all more mainstream outlets
1: like supermarkets and yeah boxies? I mean, so here in the US, it's not supermarkets yet. Um, it's it's not it's not sort of like what we call C stores either, which are like convenience stores. But yeah, I mean, they are being sold in. Uh, the Walmarts and the Targets and uh, the Rite-Aids and the Walgreens, you know, the world.
0: Do you think uh, it's a good thing for our sector? Or do you think it's a good thing? Because, I mean, um, I guess um, recently I went to a hardware store here in Barcelona and was going to buy a bikini trimmer. And then suddenly in the same aisle, I saw lots of pro- lots of sex toys and I was really surprised. I thought it was a really cool thing because, you know, it's,
1: it's, a, it's what's getting... a bikini trimmer?
0: You know, just for like pubic hair trimmer. <laughs> I was just uh, looking oh, oh, for internet okay, okay. uh, grooming device, and and um, anyway, I, I was so surprised to see a lot of sex toys in in this shop, which is like where you would buy like uh, hair dryers and things. And um, I thought it was so impressive, and I I made a reel um for Instagram. And then to my surprise, a lot of people who own sex shops felt like it was a stab in the back, you know. And I just I just don't agree with that. I think it's like making it more accessible to someone who's not going to set foot into a sex shop, you know. I think it's Making it more available, and and then different people have different ideas of it. And I was recently on a TV debate in the UK on GB News, which is like the British Fox News. It's very right wing. I was on a debate with this woman who was just found it very awkward to have those conversations with maybe children in a shop. You know, if you're because a lot of now in England, a lot of um, like Boots, chemists and supermarkets, they're selling more and more toys, and I think that's a good thing. Sure. But I mean, not everyone's happy about it. So, what what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, not every, when it comes to our business, you're not, no one's ever going to, no, no issues ever going to be sort of like universally accepted. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in, in, um, with our industry in general, I'm a big believer in sort of the rising tide raises all ships philosophy. I think that when you have more exposure and more, um, mainstreaming of our product, that that's better for the industry as a whole. And I, I think that we, we have a small industry that in terms of how many people are actually sort of like in the industry, how many organizations and companies, the dollar amount that gets thrown around is is pretty big, but the actual industry is pretty tight and pretty small. And so I think that, you know, the same retailers that have these feelings, I, I I'm, I'm sure are probably the same retailers who also did not like that the internet started selling products either. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I just don't, I think that's a really old way of thinking. Uh, I don't think it's beneficial for the industry as a whole. Um, you know, I had said earlier about the pandemic that if someone had not bought a, a, a product before from our industry that during the pandemic they did. And I, I think that when you buy your first item in this industry, when you, when you first come into this, into this industry, I don't really think you leave. I think we kind of have customers for life. I think I don't, you know, some better than others, but I think that you're going to, you're going to buy more product. You're going to buy in different categories and you're going to explore this industry. You're not going to stop buying vibrators or sex toys or butt plugs or any of this stuff, you know, just like overnight. Um, you're going to continue buying it. So if, if someone is introduced to this industry via uh, a mainstream store, um, like a supermarket or a Walmart, uh, over here, um, for me, I, I think that's, that's great because I'll take, um, I'll take a customer, uh, any way I can get them.
0: Right. Yeah. I think it's a good thing as well, because it's just like reaching. More and more people, and it makes it just normal at like the act of masturbation, which is my next question. Because I think um, when you were, um, when you filled in the calendar, you talked about masturbation and orgasms being part of self care. Do you think that's always been the perception or the goal? Because I, I see that very much so. Uh, I want to promote kind of orgasms and masturbation as something that's like part of self love, a self love practice, and that it's important to have that. It's good for body positivity and just intimacy if you're in a couple is that was that something you you've always believed yeah i mean it's
1: yeah i mean it's well you know if you want to take the pleasure products I, I said that it kind of ended with pleasure products but to be honest with you what you're saying right now is it points to where i'm wrong and or where i misspoke because it really evolved from pleasure product to sexual health and wellness
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that that's kind of where the industry is right now is is you know, we are really promoting the idea that what we do is not just fun. What we do is actually good for you. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's medically now accepted. And, and there has been enough research on this where orgasms and sort of self-love, um, Mm. or partner love, you know, uh, that actually achieves orgasm is, is, is good for your mind, your body, and your spirit. And so there is a big part of what we do now and and that, you know, is really legitimately categorized as sexual health and wellness. And that is the furthest thing that you could get from sort of like the toy world, (laughs) you know? Um, So, yeah, I think that's a big part of it for us as well. I mean, a lot of times, one of the other things that we do really well as a company and as a Big, big, big part of our business. And again, this is because we are a manufacturer is we do a lot of private labeling, you know, we make a lot of product for other people in this industry. Um, you know, people who want to make, you know, product very specifically for one type of category and a lot of the things that people come to us with these days are, you know, very centered around sexual health and wellness. Right. And really marketing and 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 really creating an atmosphere where uh this isn't just mainstream or accepted but it's 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 sort of even beyond that like this is actually something that your body needs and that you will receive benefit from if no different than i'm staring at a jar of a uh, powder supplement that i take every day, uh, you know, here on my desk. Um, you know, that they, they've marketed to me a hundred reasons why this is good. And I've done my research to know that the stuff in here is good and helps me with certain things in my life. And, 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 and that's, that's what we're doing as well.
0: Definitely. One, one tendency that I've noticed over the years, cause I've been in this industry for 14 years, but prior to that, I was uh, also a user. Um, but I've noticed that the toy envy thing has gone has reduced a lot like for example a lot of people would, would say to me oh don't you don't your boyfriends feel intimidated or jealous of your toys or even men themselves getting kind of feeling intimidated or that that is replacing a person I think nowadays attitudes have really changed and people are kind of embracing toys as part of or pro- pleasure products as part of like a healthy relationship would you say that's similar did you would you say that you've noticed that as well
1: yeah i mean i think that you know i have a group of guy friends that they grew up with me and they didn't mm-hmm. you know uh, probably one by one did i get them into using it's not like they were already past even that it, they still had the barrier of like oh well i mean i know you make sex toys but like i don't need them in my relationship you know Anyone that's, that's ever happened to me, whether it's genuinely guy friends of mine or, or girlfriends of mine that want me to talk to their husbands or their boyfriends or whatever, I always say the same thing, which is like, you have no idea how much easier I am going to make your life and sort of like how much better I'm going to make your sex life, you know, because, you know, a lot of, I think what guys get hung up on is this idea of like replacement or better than Hmm. and you know i always try to sort of reframe it where i'm just like you know are are what is your goal here right because like is your goal to make sure that your partner you know has an orgasm and and feels as good as possible during this experience because like if that is the goal and then i think using a product is going to make your life a lot easier, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and once they sort of understand that and, and, and do actually start to use the products, I, I think there's, they're never going back, Definitely, you know? Yeah. I mean, cause I, I think you can see how much, um, how much better the experience can be. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it's, 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 it's it's a much easier conversation or it's a conversation I have a lot less these days. I Mm -hmm. I used to have that conversation a lot where people would tell me like, I want to use my vibrator, but like my boyfriend or, you know, whatever it is. And I don't have that conversation too much anymore.
0: Yeah. I got my first vibrator. Some of my female friends are like, I've got a boyfriend. I don't need that kind of thing. (laughs) You wouldn't really think that now. It's very different. And I think now that because the toys are less phallic, I think, I, th- I do think that influences things because people are kind of, there's more like su- suction toys or external stimulators. Um,
1: yeah, I, th- I think that makes a difference. Well, there's just, I mean, everything now is just every shape and size. There's so much beautiful product out there and mm-hmm. stuff that's, you know, so discreet and, and you know, so easy to use, mm-hmm. you know, and so easy to use in the bedroom. Um, and so many couples toys too, you know one of our best selling items uh, you know when I mentioned that optimal line is we have a vibrating c ring in that line, and that's that's one of our best selling items you know, and it's 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 a great, great, great item for a guy uh to use. He gets some stimulation for it, but there's also a vibration that the woman uh gets to experience as well.
0: Right. A couple of quick questions I ask everyone. What's the book that changed your life? Do you have a book? Do
1: we Oh God. But <laughs> any 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 That's time a in your life, any book that you thought would be. honest, Not as much as I should. And mm-hmm. I've taken to audiobooks. Okay. Um, I've, I've I've taken to audiobooks because I just especially with kids, I've realized that um I can get the information, I'm looking for the information or I'm looking for the experience. And, and that's a way that I know that I can sort of like get it in versus if I'm trying to carve out a half hour, or an hour for myself, like at the end of the day to like sit down and read a book, um, then, uh, it, it's probably not going to happen. And there was a, a period of time there where I wasn't getting sort of any, uh, books into the brain at all. So i kind of taken I've kind of taken to uh I've kind of taken to audiobooks lately. Um one that I will say changed my life. I'm bad at this cuz I only think of things in the last like couple of years instead of like maybe something that I read when I was like in high school. I'm trying to see if I can get you the title of this book, but it was basically a book that was written it's about parenthood though. It's just about like a philosophy in terms of like how to raise young babies into toddlers into, you know, functioning adults. And I, it was like, it's a philosophy, sort of like the REI philosophy, mm-hmm. um, the Rye philosophy. Uh, it's no bad kid. I think it is, or there's no bad child. Okay. Um, I would say that is, if you're going to ask me that question right this second, yeah, it's no bad kids by Janet Lansbury. Um, I, I think that's probably a book that in terms of the way that I parent, which is one of the most important things that I do, um, kind of changed my outlook or at least formed the foundation for like kind of the type of parent I wanted to be.
0: Amazing. What about which phrase, affirmation or quote do you live by? Do you have any sayings that you think, this is how I live?
1: Oh God, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to know the answers to all these questions (laughs) the minute I hang up. (laughs) <laughs> on this uh, on this Zoom I don't know I don't know I don't know if there's anything I live by
0: okay so how can people find you
1: oh let's Johnson. see I mean yeah Doc Johnson um, we're Doc Johnson USA on Instagram I want to make sure that's right because you know no one will give a Doc Johnson on anything people like stole our name
0: Oh no. So what was the name? What's nothing behind it the then? Is there a story behind it?
1: The- oh, so I mean, yeah, I think so. I don't this is the story that Ron tells. I don't, it's a funny story. I don't know if it's a hundred percent true, but it, I think it might be. Um, when the company was first getting started back to the Merrill where, 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 this conversation started, um, Johnson was, um, the, one of the the second or third most popular surname in the world. And the idea of like doc, sort of like your friendly kind of neighborhood doc, not like Dr. Johnson, Mm -hmm. but like this sort of more, um, feeling more comfortable, like doc Johnson, you know, like there was this idea of like this sort of like person that could help. And Johnson was a very universally recognized name. And Doc was short for Doctor, and a little bit more of a friendly, approachable way. Okay. And uh, those two, those two things got put together, and here we are. Fantastic, very interesting. So we'll be checking out your. So yeah, so we're Doc Johnson USA on Instagram, and uh, you can find us at docjohnson.com, and um, I believe we are the original doc on Twitter. Uh-huh. okay. I have all this stuff written down somewhere.
0: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. It's been amazing. The book I'm reading now is Forever by Judy Bloom. I first read this book when I was 11. It was so scandalous. I was in what was known then as Junior Four, the last year of primary school, And this book was doing the rounds in my class. I went to a Catholic school, so the concept of sex education was incredibly limited. And we had had one lesson about sex education, and it was called Growing Up. And the emphasis was on puberty and where babies came from. Finally, the mystery was resolved, or so it seemed, but of course, this one lesson, which we had to get parental consent for, actually created more questions than what it answered. We wanted to know about sex, and we had so many questions. And I remember one of the girls in the class had got the book, Forever, by Judy Bloom, and everyone was reading it. And this book is incredibly explicit. It's about a couple called Catherine and Michael. They fall in love, and... It's about the concept of first love, first sex, and all of the everything that goes with that discovery of sexuality. And I always remember the part of the book when the guy Michael calls his penis Ralph. <laughs> Whenever I hear or know someone with that name, I always think back to forever. And I love Judy Bloom in general, she wrote such explicit books. And there's, there are other books that really struck chords with me when I was younger, such as Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is about periods. So it was really nice to kind of learn about growing up and sexuality in through, through novels with a woman who really could empathise um, with the young mind, the young inquisitive mind who had all of these questions and didn't know who to ask because there was no one to ask i mean I, I mean it was just kind of assumed i think this this thing of shame is passed to one generation to the next and you instinct i instinctively knew from a very young age that i wasn't supposed to ask certain questions that's why i'm very grateful to people like judy bloom and also um those people who were writers and columnists in women's magazines in the 90s that's where i Got my main source of sex education, and it's no surprise that I have taken this. I've chosen this path myself because I know how important it is to overcome shame and to talk about sexuality and pleasure. And yes, yeah, so um, the the book forever, even though I read it with a very at a very young age, it's still enjoyable when you're older. And I think it's a great way to. Um, it's a great book to give to a young person if they want to learn about sex in a fun way because it can be very embarrassing for people but it's also fascinating and beautiful especially as it's talking about losing the opportunity in a context of first love as well it's so good yeah so that's it forever I highly recommend this book if you've not read it already it's definitely a classic and I'm not surprised it's been a global bestseller and it means it means a lot to a lot of people so that's it the book I'm reading now forever by Judy Bloom. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath, and enjoy.
2: I celebrate. I am worthy of pleasure, and I enjoy my own body. Masturbation is a normal and healthy part of my sexual expression.
0: To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus Ohara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.